but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is episode 2 of season 7? 6? What are we? 7. This is 7. Yeah, I hear this is when it gets really good. <laughs> well, I've heard the 7th season of uh, NCISLA like, really <laughs> pops off. <laughs> our first episode was our Steffi Graf deep dive. Thank you to everybody who provided feedback, who enjoyed it. That makes us happy. We did a subsequent Twitch session, our very first foray into Twitch. Quite a few of you showed up. Thank you for that as well. If you weren't able to join us live, that video is actually available for you to go back and watch on twitch.tv slash thebodyserve. Yeah, I just learned what Twitch was only a mere few months ago. I guess it started where people stream themselves playing video games. Mm -hmm. And now during quarantine, it's expanded into all different sorts of things. Shout out to Courtney Nguyen who gave me the idea essentially to do this because over the Christmas break she was doing her own Twitch sessions and the timing of them lined up perfectly for me. Like you'd end up going to bed and then I'd be able to stay up on for like two, three hours right. just watching her play Dream Daddy. <laughs> Dream Daddies or Dream Daddy? Dream, Dream Daddies, I think. Yeah, that was quite the experience. We didn't play any games. We showed videos of Steffi Graf matches, um, some interviews, and just sort of chit-chatted for about two hours. It was fun. I think we will do it again. Uh, yeah. So if you are in the market for that kind of content, you can follow our Twitch account. Uh, and at that point, you'll be getting live notifications when we do go on and, and stream something. Right. In the meantime, all hell has broken loose in tennis. Right. We didn't cover any current events in our first episode of the season, so we have a lot of stuff to catch up on. It, I, I gotta say, you know, sometimes doing a show like this, you have to force yourself to get in the mood because the show must go on. But like this, this is just a whole other level. I've, I didn't watch any of the tennis, really, like in the, in the first week of the year. It's only just begun. I know. All this mess has happened with and surrounding the Australian Open, and we're still three weeks out from first ball. It's really difficult to care about tennis in the middle of a pandemic, as you know, which seems to only be getting worse. Uh, in the middle of massive crisis in the United States, as far as, you know, like people trying to overthrow the government and stuff. So that was happening. Hard to care about work or tennis. And then you just get a lot of like the same attention-seeking bullshit from american men and, and that's stuff we have to talk about or we're supposed to talk about because i guess we will talk about it's become like part of our brand but it's so for me it's like why again these men want attention more than anything and here we are again talking you know giving them attention so that's where i'm at with it for us this is another blow against the sports is just sports folks 
you know, like, oh, the tennis Australian Open is happening. It's it's happening in a vacuum. Let's just enjoy it. It is actually not. <laughs> right. Can't you just enjoy it? Well, in fact, no. COVID-19 is raging all over the globe. There's a new, more contagious strain popping up everywhere. And now the Australian government is putting all its hard work in containing the virus in Australia in jeopardy with what's unfolding with the Australian Open going forward. Uh, To start with, this was an incredibly complex logistical exercise, trying to get players from all over the world onto private flights at 25% capacity, manage requirements for getting on the plane, where they would have to quarantine, which hours of the day they'd be allowed to practice, just hundreds and thousands of people required to make this thing happen. Mm -hmm. And you put all those logistical things into place, all those hundreds of hours, sleepless nights, millions of dollars spent, and then it can be undercut by something as simple as, well, how does player A get to the LAX charter? How is, right. how is that two-day period of travel ahead of that shuttle accounted for? Mm-hmm. And do they then expose themselves and everybody else to COVID because of it? A lot of players were in Delray Beach. There was no chartered plane directly from uh, a South Florida airport. No, right, so most of them flew out of Miami. Exactly. To LAX to take a chartered flight from LAX. But the only the strict rule started when you arrived at LAX. Mm-hmm. You had to have a negative test within 72 hours of boarding the plane, or as I think was massaged in a little bit later, a negative test or be non-infectious. That's the first time I had heard that language start to float around, which is the tennis sangrin effect. I guess that's a good entryway here. (laughs) Right. Because the first real mess of the last week emanated from tennis sangrin. As he was trying to board that flight, that charter flight out of LAX to get to Melbourne. Because he is someone who craves attention, he was live tweeting what was going on. He was pulled from the plane, he was prevented from boarding. Then he had some conversation. Tennis Australia and the local health authorities ruled that since he had had COVID previously, this positive test was just him still shedding the virus but not being infectious. But in the meantime, he has to be taking jabs at COVID and the way COVID is taken seriously by folks while he's live tweeting this stuff, right? Mm. He's The first thing he tweets is COVID positive over Thanksgiving, COVID positive on Monday. Yet PCR tests are the quote unquote gold standard. At least I get to keep my points. Cry smiling emoji. Update. Maybe I can fly tomorrow. Also got a breath hold for three minutes and 31 seconds. Been a fun day. Wait, hold on. I think they're trying to get me on 15 minutes after the plane was supposed to depart. My bags still aren't checked. LOL. Wow, I'm on the plane. Maybe I just held my breath too long. Craig Tiley's a wizard. The flights haven't even started yet, and he's already undermining this massive Mm -hmm. campaign to get everyone there, right? Mind you, the flight is free, and the accommodations are free. Tennis players always pay for their own flight and accommodation in normal circumstances, this was a way to lure players to come to Australia. So they're already saving a whole shitload of money. Mm -hmm. And the first round prize money has increased. So everyone will be guaranteed to be paid $100,000, even if they lose. So we got to start it like this. Why wasn't this handled offline? 
this is this is who he is, right? Everything is a joke. What I struggled to understand was how tennis Australian Craig Tiley allowed this to happen in the first place. You know that you're dealing with a bunch of COVIDs coming to your country. You know the political climate surrounding this tournament happening in Australia. All those Americans should have been public enemies numbers one, two, three, four, and five. Targeted. I don't care if you feel like people should be targeted. They should have been absolutely targeted and be like, hey, y'all are not going to, if you're coming here, you're not going to be jeopardizing our operation. And what I want to know is, did Craig Tiley take into account the fact that there would have been multiple tennis players who would have already had COVID and the likelihood that some of them could still could still be shedding the virus even though they are no longer contagious? Right. I'm, I'm sure the, the local health authorities understood that that very often happens. Right. But this is, if you know that one of the criteria for getting to Australia and not having to quarantine is that you have to show a negative test before you board the, the flight. This should have been a contingency to be like, you need to disclose to us if you've had a prior positive test. And if so, the people involved at the gate, the people involved on Tennis Australia's end, everybody involved with getting those players from point A to Melbourne should be aware that these players are likely to be giving a positive test. It could happen. Mm-hmm. And thus, you need not go to Twitter to act a fool and cause a media firestorm before you even touch down in Melbourne. Because within an hour, you had headlines going out all over the globe that Tennis Sangren tests positive for COVID-19 is allowed mm-hmm. to board plane Australian Open in jeopardy. Like, these are the, the right. hysterical headlines that bore no actual fact as to what was actually happening because this one dude decided that he was going to make light of the situation when he needn't do it. And so for me, we know who Tennis Sangren is. This is a failure on the part of Tennis Australia, to my mind. There had to have been a way to nip this in the bud. I just don't understand why you're trying to do all this bending over backwards for him. Like of all people. Right? <laughs> you know? Like the moment he takes to Twitter to say all that... Be like, no, you radio the you pilot and done. you're like, keep going. Or Craig could, you know, say to the chief medical officer, um, could you, ahem, hint, hint, not let this guy come on? Seriously, like <laughs> it's know? not worth the trouble. Even before planes started going off, a bunch of players and coaches tested positive, decided either to wait it out or pull out of the Australian Open altogether. Andy Murray tested positive, Madison Keys, Dennis Novak. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Nicholas Masu, coach of Dominic Team. Anisimova had previously tested positive. There's so many who have tested positive that we can't keep track of. That dam has opened and it's the, it's just too flooded for us to catch up. Yeah. So over the past few days, players have started to arrive in Melbourne and Adelaide. Craig Tiley said that 17 planes have arrived from seven cities across the world. All of them are 25% full. Last night last night here, we start to get word from players leaking emails first that one plane and then two planes had positive COVID cases on them. And therefore, the normal rules are out the window. So for the planes that had positive COVID cases on them, 
those players would not get their five hours per day to be out of their room. They would have to isolate in their room completely 24 hours a day for two weeks. And this is after we've seen players tweet photos from the plane, because Netsova put a photo on her Instagram of herself without a mask, mm-hmm. standing next to the uh, currently provisionally banned Diana Yastremska. More on that later. Well, you definitely will be where, getting to more on that later. Wh- because at first that was the story was, oh, Yastremska is going to Australia? I thought she was banned. Oh, and why isn't Sveta wearing her mask on the plane? That took on more import later on. It turns out that that particular plane is one of the planes that was affected by a positive case. So far, none of the positive cases have been players. But we have 47 players now who will not be able to practice for 14 days. I mean, those planes looked luxurious AF. I hope at one point in my life to experience that kind of (laughs) air luxury. Right. Well, what I want to know, because we're not rich... I've only been on planes that had like a small first class area that, you know, we walk by and get scowled at after the first class people have boarded. Was the whole plane... Like, how dare you invade my extra five inches of space? Was the whole plane those really amazing seats like we saw in everybody's photo? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. It was a chartered plane. It's like when rich people have private planes. The inside... Have you ever seen like the inside of Air Force One? No. With, like, offices and shit? Has anyone? You can make the inside of a plane anything you want when so, you're not trying to, like... So this wasn't, like... Building as much sardines. So this wasn't, like, the 767 that you take to Disney World. No, it was not. <laughs> My point being, they could have just sat there, kicked their feet up, enjoyed as much legroom, and kept their damn mask on, socially distanced, hanging out. They could have, like... Yapped away from across the way. Mm. (laughs) But instead, at every turn we're seeing, and this is something you'll all have to pay attention to, and there's already Twitter accounts starting threads, keeping track of all the mess that these these tennis players are putting out there voluntarily on social media. You need to keep track of just the incredible narcissism from these tennis players. They cannot not put their, their wrongdoings on the internet for you to see. <laughs> well, because now they're bored. Uh, among the players who were affected were Nishikori, Azarenka, Kerber, Kuznetsova, Yastremska, Andreescu. And now we just heard a few hours ago that the coach of Bianca Andreescu, Sylvain Brunel, has tested positive after they got their test results back after they uh, deboarded the plane. There could be more, right? We have no idea. So far, there have been no players with positive tests. They've been a member of the flight crew, uh, Sylvain, uh, somebody else, I don't remember who. I think Filip Krajinovic's physio is possibly one of them. But players are really mad because on one side, some players are saying, well, you didn't tell us. Like, had we known if there were a single positive case on a plane that you would have made us isolate for 14 days, we wouldn't have come. So, you know, you can chip away at that logic. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. They're saying that there were like three groups of 10. You're isolated to like a certain group of people within the plane. And so my group wasn't anywhere near that group. So why should I be affected by it? Right. And on the other side, Craig Tiley is having to do these interviews with Australian TV. And he's saying, well, actually, it was made clear 
that the health department was always going to have the final say over Tennis Australia, no matter what. So if there were a positive case on a plane, it was going to be up to the health authorities how to handle it. Now, whether the players understood that this could have been the result of it, that that's unclear. Whether they read their emails in a timely manner, whether somebody else like their agent is responsible for reading important you know, changes in emails. There's always something that's dropped along the way. Like, who are the tennis players that are actually on top of these things asking the questions that you think are pertinent to the the maintenance of their, their professional careers? Uh, sure. You know, these players who are complaining can afford a coach, right? These players have agents. They have coaches. It's not like the 500th ranked player in the world is coming there by themselves, and they're the ones who are complaining. Alizé Cornet, for example, they're saying we were separated into these 10-person sections, and that would sort of mitigate the risk if someone from another section on the plane had COVID. Was there concrete in between the sections? Like, Did they not share the same air on the plane? This is, this is going to sound unkind, but like, are you done? Yeah, the answer is yes. Well, <laughs> did you not travel on the same plane? I, on one of the planes, it was a member of the flight crew. If a flight attendant served you all, and that person had a positive well, COVID presumably case. they'd have had like isolated. I'm assuming isolated flight staff per pod, maybe. Sure. I don't know. But those, I mean, how big is a plane? Don't the the, the flight crew interact with each other? Don't they have to walk by and? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, I'm sold. I'm sold on your argument. Right, I'm right. just saying that maybe it's that just, one. I understand how frustrating this is, and this is really unequal preparation for a Grand Slam, not to be able to practice for two weeks. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. But how did you not see this coming? Did you not realize that the country that you're flying into has been a beacon in handling COVID? They have that status because they've put in the hard work. They've made such great sacrifices. Australians, a lot of them cannot travel from state to state yeah so there's a ton of frustration among local australians who see all this complaining coming out now and are saying hey i live in victoria and i haven't been able to return to victoria because i'm stuck in another state and interstate travel is banned Mm -hmm. but you're complaining about the food and y'all were saying well i haven't heard anything about the australian open i keep hearing it's going on it's november this it's december this i can't make any plans and you should have known that the reason for that was Craig Tiley was embattled with the Australian government for a long time because they were like, y'all ain't doing this. This is not happening. <laughs> right. So that he should was... have given you, given you a clue that you were heading into potentially an unfriendly situation for your lax sensibilities. Yeah. Tennis Australia was essentially on its hands and knees begging the Victorian government to allow this to go on. Because Australia will survive if the Australian Open is missed one year, right? Like it, Tennis Australia may be way worse off. They may. But the nation of Australia does not need it. No. Right? They're making a lot of concessions. The citizens of Australia have made sacrifices for months to, to practically eradicate this disease from its borders. And the citizens of Australia are taking on a risk as well by, you know, being in a country that is allowing this tournament to go forward. So you need to trust that players, staff, executives, everybody is going to be responsible. 
for a tennis player to sit there and and try and convince me that this was totally unforeseen that I cannot believe that I found myself in this situation I'd like to try selling you like $50 loaves of bread because you you clearly are not paying attention like this is more on you than it is on them mm-hmm. this is not to say that these are fun situations fun conditions no that it's not unfair. We'll get into that a bit more, how this then makes an already uneven playing field even that much more for a lot of players. But this is not on the Australian government. Possibly some on Tennis Australian Craig Talley for not being as clear as need be for you to be able to receive it. <laughs> well, may, you know, maybe it was unclear. We haven't seen the documents that players received, right? We don't get their emails We've seen some of the. I haven't poured through all of those documents that are leaking. I've seen some of the literature on on the Australian Open website, and some of it is a bit unclear. Mm. There's always that, like, if the health authorities say so, and then it's kind of vague. But we read this this interview, this translated interview with Philip Oswald, who is a doubles player, who is now one of the players in the the strict 14 day quarantine. Because Mm. of that flight contamination. The double bubble, as Mm. we called it in New York. And he was asked, among others, Alizé Cornet also criticized the fact that everyone has to stay in their hotel room. She wrote on Twitter that the aircraft was divided into different sectors of 10 people each, and that it was originally said that in the event of a corona case, only these 10 people and not all of the people on board would have to be quarantined. Can you confirm that? He's saying that he didn't hear that from Cornet... He's saying, but when I think about it, it makes sense. There were already different sections on the plane, and it was made sure that the players sit far apart. When Sandgren got on the plane, I knew he was positive. He had mentioned this earlier in our group chat. Then all of a sudden, he did come, and I thought, wow, I can use that if a, if he infects me now. I don't really know what he means by that. Um, I don't know. Is he going to sue him? <laughs> but I thought that you would be safe if you gave a negative test after leaving the aircraft. I didn't think everyone would have to be put into a hard quarantine if one of the passengers is positive. That was never communicated to us. I looked at the fact sheet and the measures. Of course, they left the back door open everywhere so that the health department would ultimately decide, but it sounded more like each case being looked at individually. So, I mean, some players had the wherewithal. You read subtext. Yes. (laughs) So you have to, like, get one person on your team who has good reading comprehension. And I'm being facetious here. You shouldn't have to read that hard into something that's supposed to be an FAQ. You know, it should be spelled out clearly to you. Okay, I mean, to be charitable, is it handed to players in their native tongue? You know, it, it, it is more difficult to read between the lines in a foreign language. I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I I am trying to be generous here. The The thing that I I don't really get is, like, we we've already seen one person, Sylvain Bruno, test negative before. And test positive after. There, you know, there are only a few days. We know this. We've been talking about this disease for a year now. We understand how it works. We know you can test negative today. Test positive tomorrow. You may have had it yesterday. Bianca Andrescu's Instagram paints a picture that is not COVID friendly. Oh, actually, it's very COVID friendly. Well, yes. <laughs> it it's not a... friendly to avoiding COVID. Put right, it that way. Right. I'm just saying... The the thing has been around long enough where we understand how infectious it is 
how just because you tested negative today doesn't mean you don't have it. It may not have shown up on a test yet. Like these are mitigating factors, They're not prevention. It's trying to mitigate risk. And there's only so much that the ATP, WTA, Tennis Australia can do. We know this. There's precedent now. There's what happened with mm-hmm. Sam Query in Russia. We heard from him speaking to John Werlein, saying that at a certain point, he was in touch with the ATP and the ATP was like, listen, this is out of our hands now. And that is always a risk when you travel to a foreign country now with COVID. Right. Like, you need to accept that. Yeah. That at a certain point, stuff may happen to you that you maybe could have foreseen. But even if you can't, that is a risk that you accept. In Query's case, the ATP essentially said, listen, we know what you told we told you. We told you you could quarantine in your hotel room. And then the local government said, we're going to move you to an apartment. And then the local government said, if you show symptoms, you're going straight into the hospital. And the ATP had their hands completely tied. You know, this is just a sporting organization. Mm -hmm. These are national governments, right? They are always going to be the law of the land. As Aretha Franklin and Michael McDonald once sang, these are ever-changing times. (laughs) And you may see the writing on the wall... And it might not bother you at all. But when it comes to coronavirus, these are ever-changing times. What may seem to be a static decision today, governments have to make different decisions and pivot tomorrow or the day after. The fact that you may have experienced a lax bubble, relatively speaking, in New York and Paris, does not mean that this is what's going to happen in Melbourne. And that should have been evident from the jump. I was going to wait until... I thought you were going to maybe recite the entire song. Um, so I was going to give you some leeway there. But you mentioned something about bread earlier in a in an idiomatic expression. Yes. Let's talk about bread for a second. Because one of the first things that we see when players arrive at the hotel is instant complaints about the food. Here is a picture of my food. Look how terrible it is. Like, Are you all serious? Are we really doing this right now? You just got a free chartered flight to Australia. A luxury chartered flight. The hotel is free for uh, the next month. You're guaranteed $100,000 if you're a singles player in that draw. Do you all not know that other people exist in the world? Like, Have some self-awareness as to how Mm -hmm. your pick-me bullshit on social media is interpreted by people who... You claim to be your fans. Or just... That you claim to care about. Or just be like Benoit and order McDonald's. Right? <laughs> In the have, grand scheme of things. Have some fun with it. Gaumont Fils was on Twitch for like 10 hours yesterday. <laughs> just do something. Like you've got to find a way to do something. I know these are not ideal circumstances. Let's name and shame for a second. Because Fabio always... It's always Fabio. Pablo Carreño. Not cute. Wasn't a nice surprise. Madison Brangle. Petros Tsitsipas. Dude, just please be happy that you're there. The perennial hanger-on was unhappy with his food. And then you have Putintseva complaining about... What was she complaining about? She has a mouse. Well, there was a mouse, but then there was something else. She was complaining about the the, the quarantine as well. The mouse complaint was totally legitimate. Yes. Right? The cliche is, this isn't what I signed up for, which is normally not the case, but that is entirely true. You did not sign up for a mouse. And she had the video to prove it. She had all the receipts, yes. But then you have her going on to say, what I don't understand is that why no one ever told us 
If one person on board is positive, the whole plane needs to be isolated. I would think twice before coming here. After I read that, I was like, you know, maybe you did deserve the mouse. <laughs> you, you, The mouse should be wearing a mask in your room. And then Miss Sarana Kirstea, she quote tweets and says, I agree. If they would have told us this rule before, I would not play Australia. I would have stayed home. They told us we would fly at 20% capacity in sections and we would be at close contact only if my team or cohort tests positive. I guess we'll never know. If you had known, we will never know what you would have done because we're here and this is the reality that we've been dealt. This is just day two of tennis players in quarantine in Australia. Mm-hmm. And the the complaining has been at a very high level. It's been a lot. And I, I just wonder what it will look like by day four or five when these players are bored in the room, in the room bored, when they mm-hmm. haven't been able to branch out into something else. Like, why Why is it that everything has to be online all the time with these players? I, I just don't get it. I'm just going to tell you now, I'm not doing this for the next two, three weeks, cataloging player complaints, because at some point I'm just going to stop watching this stupid sport, because too many people are going to piss me I'm off. I'm telling you, at some point, somebody's going to say or do something really, really bad. <laughs> It's bound to happen. Yeah. Now, on a more serious note, there are, like, there are legitimate complaints, right? According to Stuart Fraser, there's a quote, growing unrest over how the top players in Adelaide are being treated compared to the players in Melbourne. And this is something that is legitimate to to complain about if the conditions are that much different, right? If those players are allowed to have a bigger team, if they have more freedom of movement, if they had a, a more comfortable arrival and stay, all of which seem to be the case. We don't know for sure because I don't think we we haven't really seen clearly the rules about that exhibition in Adelaide. But this inequity between top players and not top players, we know is there in tennis. And this is an incident where it's a it's very, very stark. It's it's very clear, you can observe it. Tennis players have, all of a sudden, they have class consciousness amongst each other. But they don't have any class consciousness that extends beyond themselves and outside of tennis compared to, you know, the rest of the world. (laughs) Because it's self-interested complaining. It's, this isn't fair because those players get treated differently than I get treated. It's never, like, turned outward or downward at people less privileged than yourself, you know? That's, this is why it's frustrating, because it actually is a very valid complaint. All this is happening. The the top stars arrive in Adelaide for this exhibition. Novak Djokovic is seen riding around with a shit-eating grin, waving to the public without a mask. Everybody else in the car has a mask on. What is so difficult about this? This the dude ba- the is bare minimum. He is. The he bare is minimum. About selling this event to the Australian public is wearing a damn mask in public. That is the bare minimum. You invite Novak to an event, you get what you're going to get. You know what you're getting. The Adria infestation was half a year ago at this point. His His inoculation to the virus has ended. 
Well, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe he has the vaccine or maybe, I don't know if he even will take the vaccine when it becomes available. Did you hear what him. you just said? I know, right? I was <laughs> Maybe Novak Djokovic <laughs> was one of the very free, very first people on the planet to be no, fully no, no. inoculated but you to the coronavirus. You don't see, because I still ve- feel very strongly that a lot of these people who are blasting their skepticism about the vaccine will be first in line, right? Like a lot of the anti-vaxxers will get it. And they will get it before a lot of other people. We saw it in Washington. Yes. So. It was still funny. It was. Okay. It was. Uh, I'm just saying, we, we you know we don't know if he is immune from mm-hmm. the virus. He could, who knows? He could be. It's just like, what, dude? Why? Why? Fine. And then, but you ha- you have the vaccine. You still wear the mask. You uh, virtual <laughs> you virtue signal, and you wear the mask. If I know, if you want to use that loaded language of virtue signaling, which I hate. A virtue signal is when you say these conditions that I am benefiting from are incredibly unfair, but I'm still going to go. <laughs> I use virtue signaling mm. tongue in cheek. No, 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 because there was a whole thing. Novak Djokovic says the conditions in Melbourne are really unfair compared to what the elite players get in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Novak is in Adelaide. He did not surrender no, that. Apparently privilege. he tried to okay. go back to Melbourne, okay. but, you know, stuff was already set in motion. Uh-huh. Um, so, peace and good feelings. It is difficult to have moral high ground when you're there. You know, you're one of those privileged few. Back to Tennis Sangren for a bit, because... Why, though? This this was missed. It didn't really fit in with his airport shenanigans at the time, but he's heading to Australia on the back of uh, a fucking dire week in American political history. Which, of course, you know, he has something to say about you see you saw images of rioters and these fascists storming the capital and he decided it was hilarious for him to post an instagram story of that dude in the viking hat Mm. in the house chambers where i guess where pelosi would normally be seated with the gavel or whatever and he's like "Ha, ha ha as one of the Instagram stories, because this dude looks like some fictional character or something. If by now you have any delusions as to who this man is, this is on you at this point, and it's representative of who you are. Like We went through a handful of podcast appearances over the last two, three years, Mm -hmm. where established media brought him on to try and sift through what really happened what really was at play and, and and convince him and convince us how fascinating the guy is yeah we've always heard how much he is such an intellectual he is so interesting to listen to and there is nothing there and a man who thinks he's smarter than he really is and he's not and that's just the end of it if it looks like a duck quacks like a duck then it's just a duck period Another way that this Australian Open is different is that unlike regular Grand Slams played under regular circumstances, the qualifying tournament does not happen the week leading into the event. Instead, this qualifying event happened overseas, it happened in the Middle East, and then those players, having played three matches and qualified for the Australian Open, then have to jump on a charter plane, get to Australia, and quarantine. Some of them now a strict quarantine where they do not get to leave their room for those 14 days. 
So this this narrative that we've bought into over the last few seasons where if you get through qualifying, you have momentum, that is not here at this Australian Open. Yeah, that's interesting. So some of the flights coming into Melbourne are from UAE, which is where the qualifying tournament took place. And as you said, one of the benefits of getting through qualifying, especially with a sweep with three victories, is that you have this real momentum, this muscle memory to to ride into the first round on. So it'll be interesting to see how qualifiers handle that this year. There were quite a few interesting qualifiers who will get into the Melbourne main draw. Rebecca Marino, Canadian, who stepped away from the game in her early 20s, is making her first Grand Slam main draw appearance in eight years. Bernard Tomic, a blast from the past. He has done a lot of finger work in the offseason. Oh my God. And that has prepared him um, with special grips on his racket. Are you serious? To, uh, get, get into this main draw. Are you he, serious? He's renewed. <laughs> Sarah Rani, I watched... Of all the, the qualifying matches that I watched, I watched hers most for some reason. The serve is still a mess. It's overhand, but uh, for every service game, she catches at least three to four ball tosses. That's not an understatement. But she made it through qualifying, coming down from a set and a break in, in her last match. Credit to her, Carlos Alcaraz, the young Spanish gentleman who is not yet 18, he'll make his Grand Slam debut. Michael Moe, Viktor Troitsky, Sergei Stakovsky won three matches and will be at the Australian Open. Whitney Osigwe, Mayar Sharif, who you may have seen a bit of her in the last few months based on Reem Abel's reporting, a young Egyptian woman, she's 24, on the come up, one to watch. She was the first Egyptian woman in the main draw of a slam uh, in Roland Garros, I believe. Yes. Svetlana Peronkova, you know she made her big comeback splash at the U.S. Open. And uh, Serena eventually took her out. She's back in Australia. Olga Danilovic, a young up-and-coming player who will make her Grand Slam debut as well. And finally, Francesca Jones. Fran Jones, a British player who will be making, has already made a lot of headlines. And you can explain. Yeah, Francesca is a 20-year-old British player ranked, at this moment, 241. She ran through Nicolescu, Yana Fett, and Jia Jing Lu to qualify for the main draw, won her three matches. You'll hear about this a lot, I'm sure, in the next few weeks, and let, let this be the first and last mention of it. She has a rare genetic disorder called ectrodactyly ectodermal dysplasia syndrome. And as a result, she has four fingers on each hand and she has seven toes total. Mm -hmm. This obviously has presented uh, an impediment to a professional tennis career. When she was younger, doctors told her, this is not going to happen. You're probably not going to play tennis at a high level. And at age 10, she's accepted into the Sanchez Casal Academy in Barcelona. She left her family. And 20 years old, it has paid huge dividends. Mm -hmm. Now she's in the first round of a Grand Slam. And when you say let this be the first and the last time you hear about this, why we say that is, unfortunately for Fran Jones, this is the type of inspirational porn that media members just eat up. When she qualified, my entire timeline on 
Twitter was about eight fingers and seven toes. There were at least yeah. five tweets that had eight fingers and seven toes in there. And I cringe at the thought that should this young woman go on to have a successful career, one with any longevity at all, that this will be a question that she'll have to answer over and over again. Five years down the road, a reporter from Last Word on Sports is sitting at the round table in Charleston, and this is their first go of it. And they're like, so how has it been playing professional tennis with just eight fingers and seven toes? Yeah, yeah. Like this is the type of thing that just will not go away. And if you wonder how she feels about it, you can read some of the stuff she's already said. This is something I've lived with. I don't think of it as an impediment. Like this is just the way it is. <laughs> like let this woman live. Let her have her moment. As you said, this is going to be a very different lead up. It's a different kind of Australian tennis summer. No Auckland, no Brisbane, no Sydney. We're going to have a bunch of events in the week of January 31st, which is two weeks from now. There are two ATP 250s, the Murray River Open and the Great Ocean Road Open. The ATP Cup will also happen in that same week. And then there will be two WTA 500 level tournaments, the Gippsland Trophy and the Yarra Valley Classic. I'm sure we'll be back at some point to explain how the entry for these tournaments will play themselves right. out. I mean, Who we get to play where and how the, the fields will be divvied up. We're, we're going to be seeing some withdrawals based on the players who will not be allowed to practice in the next few weeks, who won't be able to prepare for those tournaments. They may not feel it's wise to even play if they weren't able to, to get conditioned. Uh, hopefully we don't see players test positive, but it's, you know, it's possible. And so these next few weeks are going to be very unpredictable. There's a real concern from folks who will have to go through this strict quarantine about re-emerging from that and risking injury more than other players. That's mm -hmm. part of the inequity that's built into the situation. It was already a risk for folks going through it, I think, um, with having five, five hours outside of your room. Albeit a luxury, <laughs> considering the the climate that we're in in Australia, but this is this is just part of what you sign up for at the end yeah. of the day. Like and some players said, it's not worth it for me. I'm not going, mm -hmm. and that's their choice. If that's the choice they can afford, and that makes sense for them, that's great. But you also get to collect a check on somebody else's dime if it doesn't work out for you. Mm. Like the injury part right. is the one thing that that I. I can kind of sympathize with here because that could oh, yeah. that could affect your career beyond this Australia bubble. Mm -hmm. As I said, I won't lie to you and say that I've been watching a whole lot of tennis over the past few weeks, but we should talk about what has already happened in mm. official tennis tournaments yeah. for the year. Abu Dhabi. Arena Sabalenka wins her 15th straight match. She won the last two tournaments in Czech Republic at the end of the WTA season in October. Now she's back in Abu Dhabi, beats Kudermatova in the final. Incredible performance for her. Now, unfortunately for her, there's going to be a whole weight of expectation on her heading into the Australian Open. She's somebody who has not gone deep in a slam before and has exhibited a whole ton of talent mm -hmm. that hasn't met with Grand Slam success thus far. Right. It'll happen. 
at some point, but the expectations are going to be a bit higher on her at the moment. Maria Sakari was another one who had a great week in Abu Dhabi, beating Coco Goff, Muguruza, Kennan, Kennan with a bagel in the third set. Before ending up losing to Sabalenka. Yeah. In Anatolia, Turkey, Alex Diemenauer beats Bublik in a retirement in the final. I think the score was 2-love. He took out David Goffin three sets in the semifinals. It, it can be nothing but a positive for these players to, to have this kind of success right away. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it should be extrapolated into anything further at this point, but how can it not be anything but good feelings to be able to to score a win amidst everything that's going on? Especially when the, the off-season and the lead-up and the build-up to this 2021 season is unlike anything we've seen before. In Delray Beach, Florida. You know, it was, an, it was definitely a choice to host a tournament in Florida right now. With fans. Yeah, that was most definitely an interesting choice. It looked throughout the week that the story was going to be Christian Harrison, and uh, unfortunately he was largely the story this week. You know, somebody who has made a habit of kind of ridiculing the COVID guidelines as if people aren't actually suffering from this thing. And it's just like the contributing to this very true stereotype of American white male tennis players as being at at best insensitive at worst um i don't even really yeah, want to verbalize fill in, that fill in the blank it, <laughs> fill in the blank i'm sure you can figure it out christian but, but look, is no, the look. brother of ryan look you said he's made a habit of who knew what christian harrison made a habit of before this week yes he made a habit of being the brother of ryan harrison that's about it but when you go through and you look at his social media and in particular his twitter likes i know the um the folks who are you know sport is just sport we should let players be and should be free from politics they loathe when people go looking at people's social media mm-hmm. you know to say stuff like that um well tough i mean when but when people make this part of their persona mm. uh, like Ryan harris it's going to spoil my enjoyment period christian harrison is not even trying if you look through his twitter likes he is the maga mayor of of tennis that's who he is he's worse than his brother well i should say he's more open about this stuff than anybody except for maybe sangren in his twitter prime (laughs) you know but the thing is he could have made this whole week a success story about having endured all these surgeries having got having gotten into tip-top shape and played way above his ranking in reaching the semifinals here in Delray Beach. And he chose to make the story about, I didn't I didn't do my interview in the second round because they made me wear a mask. And that's some stupid pseudoscientific rule because we're all outside and I got fined. He could have had like his that- moment. He could have kept all that in the WhatsApp chat with his brother and the other magas. They could have kept that offline. But instead, like Sangren, you have to, you have to score the the put-upon points publicly. And so he, having made um, damn near nothing in his career to this point, decided to sacrifice $3,000 for not participating in an on-court interview after a second-round match, saying that the well, they're requiring a, a mask for an on-court interview, but you go and you do a sit-down interview afterward, and it's not required. And it's not safe for an athlete after having been running for so long 
over and over and over again to then be wearing a mask. For two minutes? You know, the bottom line here is you did not perform a function of your job. You knew what you signed up for. Maybe, maybe to his credit, he did not expect to win. That's a possibility. If he didn't expect to win, maybe he was caught off guard that he won a few matches. And then had to... <laughs> like, it's clearly, you know, you made a choice to make this statement. He felt very principled about having to wear a mask. He felt it was unjust. And that it didn't make sense, scientifically. So he didn't wear it. And then he got fined. Right. But it's you part know. of your job. And you didn't perform a part of your job. Yeah. So that's that. It's right. as simple as that. I'm tired of talking about these American guys. Because it actually, like it is the reputation we deserve to the world. Like... Because this actually is who we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, as an American, I have to own that this is, you know, this is the image that my country puts out to the world because this is quite literally who we are. Not all of us, but 70-something million of us voted for Donald Trump, right? And I'm not going to hold a funeral for American tennis if if this is what American tennis chooses to tolerate and celebrate. Well, listen, Tennis Atlantic... After John Isner said he wasn't going to Australia, said to Tennis Twitter that y'all can try to cancel American tennis, but y'all will fail. And I mean, yes, I'll I'll try, sure. try again, fail, fail better. What is that? What is <laughs> that? Stan has <laughs> like the evidence is clear. Yes, we have failed. Attempts okay. have been made to cancel these MAGA men in tennis, and it hasn't happened. But right, but we're where, not going to shut up about but it. But where is American men's tennis? Where is it? Is it a world superpower? It, no. Are these players of any import to anybody outside of their own cluster? Fuck. Like, <laughs> Just as the country needs to uh, relinquish its role as this hegemonic power of good across the world, um, they, they've relinquished that role in tennis as well. You know, they don't have to be the tennis superpower and certainly not on the men's side. They've given it up. They've abdicated. On the women's side, they're doing okay. They're fine. Coaching updates. The buy-in coaching carousel spits out a loss for Karolina Pliskova in the first go-round. You sound a little too excited about that. I was just trying to pronunciate and enunciate well. Mm. You know, that's all. Losing her first match in straight sets to Anastasia Gasanova. That was her first top 100 win. That's great for her. Yeah, and uh, th- th- there's work to do for Mr. Bain and Miss Pliskova. I I should point out that you're being extremely small. I just don't know why people keep hiring him at this point. That's that's all I'm saying. <laughs> My point stands. Pat Cash has resurfaced. He's coaching Wang Chung, and the connection being through her late former coach, keeping it in the family apparently. And then we also got the news that David Ferrer has dumped Alexander Zverev, following in the footsteps of Ivan Lendl and Juan Carlos Ferrero, who also dumped him with haste after initial trials. Mm-hmm. That was a, I feel like that was also a very biased reading of what happened. Yes, we are very clear about our biases on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and now to the et cetera's portion of the episode, because we've been so strict about subject matter so far, right? I feel like this whole episode has been an et cetera. The disappearance of that WTA ATP app at the end of last year was the cause of a lot of conversation. I've had that app for a long time, but I didn't know that people were so um, beholden to it. You know, I, I didn't know that there weren't other apps that performed like a similar function, but people were really mad. And I think it's the lack of a, a plan B 
on the part of the tennis organizations that is really galling because it's a it's a sport that demands that we put a lot of money into it to follow it right it's it's hard to find in cable in some countries you know you can get it on prime but in other places you have to buy all these subscriptions streaming sites cable and you still don't get to watch the matches that you want to watch like it's become progressively more difficult to watch the sport to follow the sport and the app thing it was just the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people that said i did download this tnns live app today and it's visually like the user experience is very nice it looks really nice i'm having trouble loading some of the pages which could be an android thing but we'll see it's not ideal to not have this app anymore no and it's it's just surprising that the organizations didn't have something ready to go in its absence was it really surprising (laughs) you're saying you were surprised by this disappointing so not surprised. Mm-hmm. But even like the WTA, if you want to follow scores on their website, that's also, it's not very functional, right? It doesn't update quickly enough. It's just, we can do better. The history <laughs> I, of what we've experienced I know, I know. suggests otherwise. Mm-hmm. What is surprising to me is that there isn't some kind of third-party operator who doesn't see a vacuum here to fill this <laughs> void. Right, right. Like some ingenious coder, some young kid who is so talented on tennis Twitter and is like, you know what? I'm going to fix this and I'm going to make some coin off of it. The thing is, like, it takes time to develop an app. It it takes a lot of legwork. Right. Um, But what I'm saying is the existing apps weren't that great to begin with. Mm -hmm. So like this, this vacuum has always existed. and now it's a gaping hole. Mm. I think this is what you've been waiting on. Yeah. For a few weeks now, you've been so, waiting on this, this you, segment. You all know that I I love doping stories. I find them endlessly fascinating. He loves drugs. I love the, the stories that we get out of it. I just think that, I don't know, like, it's a part of sport that is, we know it's there, and it exists in the shadows. And when it comes to light, it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable. And I sort of revel in that that discomfort, right? You, because it forces people to come up. Sometimes they're perfectly legitimate stories, and it exposes the limitations of the anti-doping authorities and the protocols that we have in place. Of and, which there are many, and the, right. and the inequities. It, it, the that's very important. Inequities built into that is very important. And at other times, it exposes just the weird things that people will say to clear their name, mm-hmm. even if they're not true. I really think you always say to me, you're an HR professional now. Um, yeah, professional in quotes. Well, I mean, you do it well. By trade. If oh, I may say mm-hmm. so. And uh, I think you have a future in it. <laughs> but you always say... <laughs> Is this my performance review? <laughs> but as you always say to me privately... Well, I wonder what I could have done or what what should I do instead if I do something else? And you always circle back to this lawyer thing, mm-hmm. which yeah. I do not see for you. Okay. But maybe you should become a doping defense lawyer. Maybe no, that's your future. Defi- no, like an investigator. Or maybe well maybe a defense yeah. lawyer. I mean because these things are not being broadcast on CNN. Mm. You know, you don't have to worry about like offering up being the face of some stupid def- defense, you know, <laughs> you can do the investigating yourself. It's like, yo, this is the route that we're going. Right, right. <laughs> this is the one that sounds most plausible. Anyway, 
Diana Yastremska tested positive for an anabolic steroid. It was for a metabolite of something called mesterolone, which is a prohibited substance. It's It really is just nonstop with her. Mm-hmm. It is so difficult to keep up with Diana's life. She, if you recall. She had COVID back in December. Well, let's back it up even further. <laughs> Before then, she had her We Are the World Kumbaya half moon black and white ebony and ivory let's heal the world of racism moment she had the the half blackface moment which was controversial she was controversial before that for the endless medical timeouts she has retired not once but twice on an opponent's match point Mm -hmm. Uh, just a long history of of poor sportsmanship i mean we see things on twitter as well where fellow players could be shading her not entirely sure 100%, but likely so. <laughs> and then there was the breakup with Sasha Bayan, which was very public and very awkward. It is just, It just never ends mm-hmm. with Miss Yastremska. Then we saw her on the plane. Oh, well, then, yes. Yeah, so she got the COVID, and then she got the anabolic steroids test positive right, so... in her face. And then she's on this plane posting up with Svetlana Kuznetsova. On her way to Melbourne. For what? <laughs> it's unclear. Well, well, okay, so here's for what. On So she submitted an out-of-competition sample on November 24th. This came back positive for this anabolic steroid called mesterolone. This is a synthetic anabolic steroid that is sometimes prescribed for men with low testosterone levels. It's sometimes used for infertility. That's controversial, apparently. And, of course, it is used sometimes in athletes for all the, the typical reasons that athletes use anabolic steroids. To to build muscle, to stimulate the... To cheat. Yes, to stimulate testosterone, mm-hmm. right? The result is that she's provisionally suspended as of January 7th, 2021. She has, as anyone, she has the opportunity to appeal this provisional ban... They didn't say how long the provisional ban was for, I think assuming that she will probably appeal it, but as of this very moment, she has not yet. She released a statement very soon after the ITF statement came out. She said, quote, I am astonished and under shock. She went on to say, I have received scientific advice that the result is consistent with some form of contamination event. Besides, I have been informed that this substance is meant for use as medication by men and that women are advised not to use it due to the adverse effects it causes. That is true, but that has never stopped someone from taking steroids. Am I right? A lot of these drugs have very legitimate medical uses, but people still use them in a risky way. She said she is resolutely determined to do everything to clear my name. And you know what? I'm not here to say that she's guilty, that she took this drug knowingly. She says it was in such a low concentration that... This person who has advised her said that it was probably due to some form of contamination. Mm-hmm. We have no way of knowing, but no I way. know you are eagerly awaiting the explanation, the official exactly. defense. Like, I I have no vested interest in her being guilty or innocent. Like, wh- Literally, all you care about is a story. It is. <laughs> it, it really is. From the tortellini... To the Colombian beef, to the, to the bespoke, the bespoke vitamins, the um, Alize Cornet, just simply not being at home always, several times in a row. <laughs> are you always on time? Are you always there when I call? She was not. 
<laughs> baby be mine. <laughs> so, you know, when when Farah submitted that story that was very plausible and at the, at the same time entertaining, I was like, well, I guess we can move on now. And then it came back to be true. Right. You're exactly. like, that's even better. So I'm not here to pin people to the wall. I just am waiting for the story. You're just here for the mess. Yeah. Wow. Such a clean segue into more mess. Because Dominika Sibolkova managed, along with her husband, to bypass the healthcare workers and all the folks at the top of the COVID vaccine line in Slovakia to get her own dose and then claim it was an accident. What a strange story. She and her husband said they were accompanying a loved one to a hospital, that they mistakenly found their name on the list to receive the vaccine in this first wave. <laughs> I'm 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 just quoting. I don't know why you're laughing. I'm saying I'm saying this is what she said. And oops. Uh, the vaccine it went into her arm and she got it. Miss Corona? She didn't know how it happened like she thinks she was put on a list in error, but she got it anyway, pushed a few walkers out of the way. Um I mean she has she has been blasted in her home country of Slovakia. And I really admire how she has pivoted. Like in Because in the apology, she said, you know, I didn't do this on purpose. It was a mistake. But now that I've gotten it, let me share with you all how important it is to get vaccinated. It's great. Go do it. And so she's turned the apology into a public service announcement. And you know what? I have to admire it. Okay. I will say this controversy is not inconsistent with the Sibulkova brand. Do you want to elaborate? No. <laughs> Sam Correa resurfaced. For a long time, stuff was happening in tennis, and folks within the tennis establishment would be tweeting about goings-on, and folks would respond to be like, yeah, but where's Sam Query? That's cute and all, but where's Sam Query? Can we get a follow-up on that? <laughs> right. I want to know where he is. How did he get out of Russia? Where did he fly to? All this stuff. And then one El John Wertheim, gets the scoop and has uh, a sit-down interview that's transcribed. And we we find out from Sam that not much of what was previously reported was untrue. That's what I took from it. Yeah, there were... It was painted maybe in a different light and in some cases a different sequence of events. But for the most point, what you got is what you got. The reporting was right. Sam and his family tested positive for covid he said that they were showing mild symptoms. The ATP apparently had told them, you know, while you're in Russia, if you get COVID, you'll be able to stay in this hotel in the Four Seasons St. Petersburg. The Russian government, when it became a reality, said, hold up. this No, this is not how we're going to handle it. We have to send doctors to the room. If we deem you to be asymptomatic, we're going to send you to this apartment. If you do have symptoms, you will have to go to a hospital for two weeks. And that was it. Sam said that his baby had a fever, as all babies do. And when so they're he, teething. And so they were afraid that the the baby would be deemed to be symptomatic. And no guidance was given to them as to whether they would all be taken to the same hospital, if they'd be separated or whatever. It's something that kind of undercuts this foreign doctor, foreign government coming to steal my baby kind of thing that's kind of hovering over this whole thing in a cringe way is that when Sam said, well, listen, it's 10 p.m. at night on a Sunday, 
y'all gonna have to come back tomorrow. They said, okay. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, all right. Like it didn't yeah, seem like we'll the, be tomorrow. The, the police wagon was outside ready to, to steal yeah. them away and insisting on it. So like It he, seemed like everybody was kind of trying to work together to some extent. Yeah. And under the cover of night, he I mean, he admitted it. He and his family left the hotel very, very early in the morning, specifically because nobody would be awake to see them leaving. Like he admitted that. Yeah. You know, he was he was honest about that. He arranged a private jet. He said, but listen, we were wearing, wearing our N95 masks and we did not take it off once. Not for a sip of water, not for a bite of food. The entire time through two airports, through hours upon hours, it was a complete COVID free zone. Yeah. So they, they arranged transport to this private jet tarmac in St. Petersburg. He had already booked uh, an Airbnb in London, gets to London quarantines for 14 days in the airbnb and then they go home i mean i I guess i appreciate that he has told the whole story now we know exactly what happened and he said at the beginning of the interview if once you all hear the story and you still think i'm an asshole then that's that's fine Mm -hmm. but here's what happened i mean on this on the on the maga scale you know it's a continuum he's not he's not at the top right right what i really really don't appreciate is People saying, well, if that was you, you'd do the same thing. Because that would literally not be me. No. Like, I wouldn't he was saying, be well, there. He was saying, what was I supposed to do? My schedule was this tournament, one, two, three, four, five, six tournaments back to back. I couldn't be away from my family that long. My wife and kid didn't want to be away from me that long. We had to do, well, no, you didn't have to do that. You could have decided to skip that swing. Presumably, Sam, you have a lot of money. Or, or you have enough. Right? <laughs> no. Or you could have played a couple tournaments instead of five or six like that was not a requirement this is something that you chose to do you chose to put yourself in this position and then to pivot and say well other players had their family and kids with them that doesn't make them right either like this disease is not fair no we know right people people's loved ones are dying undignified deaths this the scale of hardship is stark and and many of us are extremely privileged which we've come to find out and to throw throw your privilege in people's faces by disappearing in the still of the night you're but a a blip on air travel radar wondering is that sam query in the (laughs) night sky right which northern european city did he alight upon that is an incredible privilege in dealing with this disease that most people do not have and it's a position that you put yourself in so there is no sympathy to be had here because this is a, a creation, your own creation. And there is an unseemly seedy element to casting the Russian doctors as crooks and gremlins and goons. Yeah. In all of this, that's just really, it's, it's not cute. Because like you said before, with Americans, this is who we are. There's no guarantee that if you are a foreign citizen... In the U.S., you will get treatment that will save your life. There just isn't. If if you're a U.S. citizen in the U.S., there's no guarantee. Uh, there's that, too. So, like, you're probably in a very good place in Russia <laughs> to get good treatment. Anyway, the mystery is solved about the query affair. Jan Tyriak, uh, again, people that I am being asked to talk about who I don't want to talk about. People who clearly need attention. Jan Tyriak. Again, apropos of nothing, 
completely unprovoked, talks about Serena Williams in an interview, comes after her for being too old, too fat to continue to play tennis. He said, quote, at this age and the weight she is now, she does not move as easily as she did 15 years ago. Serena was a sensational player. If she had a little decency, she would retire. And this was in a story by Tamani Cario. A little decency. The journalist he was talking to, Irina Pakurariu, I hope I said that close to what it is, she, to her credit, said, you were very misogynistic every time you judged Serena. She pushed back at this guy in the moment, which is great. And as Tamani talks about in his excellent story for The Guardian, this is one of many, many occurrences when powerful men in the sport have said racist or misogynistic things about not only Serena, but many other women's tennis players. Without the sport condemning them, and with the the leaders of the sport treating it as if either it didn't happen or it's an isolated incident. And so Alexis Ohanian, you know, he... He caught wind of it. He goes after Tyriok, talks about his singles career or whatever. Like, I get it, it's your wife, but like, it's frustrating to me, right? Because... It's not systemically changing you, anything. No, because you, of course, you have an impulse to defend your wife. And you know this is an unjust, regardless of who it is. But... Tyriac's singles record has nothing to do with this. He is a powerful person in the sport. Period. And he's not an isolated figure. Right. His thoughts are shared by many in the tennis establishment right. who run tournaments, who run tennis media, male players. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, just talking about him, right? He's this billionaire who was instrumental in Boris Becker's career. He owns the Madrid tournament, which is a thousand level tournament that hosts both men and women who has shown disdain and distaste for women's tennis many times. He only cares if Simona wins. Right. And he has come after Serena several times. But you've got Nastase, you've got Tarpashev, you've got Raymond Moore in the United States trashing women's tennis. Like John you have, McEnroe saying stuff when he feels like it. But you you have men who uh, own tournaments or have a large voice in the sport just taking the occasion to trash women for no reason. Like, who even brought it up? You know, it un, unprovoked every time. On what planet should somebody who just made a semifinal at the U.S. Open under COVID constraints and in the midst of COVID should be told to retire. They should be told to retire, period. But there is no evidence that Serena Williams is not a capable tennis player anymore. Right. But these examples build up and they they show you that if you're an observer of the sport, that it's okay if you're in a position of power to trash women's tennis, to call them fat, to call them old to uh, speculate about the pigmentation of someone's unborn child, as Nastase did. These incidents tell you something about what tennis as a sport will tolerate. And uh, I personally had to unfollow Alexis Ohanian on Twitter because there was a lot of pick-me bullshit. And by that I mean, wow, I didn't realize this until so-and-so. Wow, look at me as, you know... uh, Father of an interracial child. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize this was all happening. Wow. It was like, it's like okay, at a certain point, keep up. take it offline and make those changes meaningful. Other than that, you're just grandstanding right mm-hmm. now. And like, I just don't have the bandwidth for that. 
Um, so if you really want to go after Jan Tyriak, take those steps. You do have access to power within tennis should you choose to use it, rather than just spouting off on Twitter. We're not really going to be ending this episode on a, a very pleasant note. No, Sloane Stevens shared on Twitter the other day that she has recently lost her grandmother and her aunt to COVID, which is just awful. And Sloane is also now in Australia and part of that group that has to isolate yeah. in their rooms. She's had a very so, rough go of it. You know, it's hard to imagine what it's like to be her now. And so, you know, please, I wish fellow players would temper their complaints, knowing that other people are going through a lot of shit right now. Um, It shows you just how vicious and how awful this disease is, right? And how it affects people in disproportionate ways and in unpredictable ways. And how minorities are affected at disproportional rates as well. Yeah. The legendary tennis coach Bob Brett passed away recently of cancer. He, I mean, he had an incredible career. Started out as a ball boy to Arthur Ashe and Harry Hopman. He's Australian. One of his first coaching jobs was Andres Gomez. He built this little team where he also coached Johan Creek, Mats Wielander. In the 1980s, he led Boris Becker back from injury in 1988. He coached Goran Ivanisevic for four years. Um, later on, Andrei Medvedev, Mario Ancic, Nicholas Kiefer, Marin Cilic for nine years. I mean, Bob Brett did everything in tennis. He coached uh, Japanese junior camp, so he came into contact with Nishikori, and he founded his own tennis academy in San Remo, Italy. The plaudits are pouring in for Bob Brett, and rightfully so. Also, rest in peace to tennis journalist Tom Parato who died at the age of 44 after dealing with brain cancer for the last uh, few years. We first caught wind of his illness in November when he published his last piece. And uh, very, it was very sobering to read that while he was dealing with this terminal illness, the COVID crisis actually bought him a little bit more time with his family. He knew he didn't have much time left, period but he was able to make the most of being home with his kids during quarantine and lockdown and enjoy his family in a way that he, under normal circumstances, wouldn't have been able to. That kind of perspective from somebody who is dying is quite something to read Mm. in these times. And you might want to check out No Challenges Remaining's NCR's latest podcast, where quite a few of Tom's colleagues, folks who've worked with him, in the tennis press room, in in media, period. And also some tennis players, I know Vika was on it, pop in to share some of their thoughts and stories about Tom. We never met him. We we started covering events, I guess, after he was off the scene. We just never lined up at the same tournament. But I, back when I used to do the This Week in Tennis stuff, I would cite his work all the time because he was really good. Sorry to end on uh, such a sad note, but we thank you for listening to our kind of our second season opener, mm-hmm. our part two of the season premiere. Yeah, uh, we never know when the next mess is going to hit, when the next tennis catastrophe will be upon us. So who knows when we'll be back? <laughs> Hopefully, this episode will survive the night at least. Yeah, that most of the stuff we talked about doesn't become obsolete. So I am James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. 
two L's, two T's. I'm Jonathan at tennis underscore John. We are The Body Serve. You can find us on all social media at The Body Serve. If you've given us a review previously on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, thank you. If you haven't, please, please, please let this be your Body Serve 2021 resolution to review and share us everywhere as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.